Welcome to the One Player Podcast. Flee, flee from the AJ Monster. You mean the AJ and the Porphyrios? Do I? This is this is what comes of us not being able to decide on how we're going to do the intro here. Hi, everybody. Let's just yeah. go with it. <laughs> it works for me. It, that was genius. I'm sure it was. Awesome. Yeah. Genius. So we have a lot going on this week. We had an extended interview with AJ Porfiano about all the upcoming Van Ryder games. Goodness. Hostage negotiator. Upcoming Kickstarters. The biggest. Not the biggest escape. No. Not that one, but other stuff. Other stuff. All sorts of things going on over there. So we're going to be putting that very shortly. And we also have a review of the Freeman Freeze fast forward game Flea, which is a small box, one to four player cooperative Mm -hmm. game. We're going to be putting that right after the interview. So if you want, you can skip ahead to the interview. As always, we leave in the show notes timestamps for everything. So you can look at the show notes for the timestamps if you want to skip ahead to the review. Uh, but make sure you listen to it because I thought it's pretty good. It is. It was a really good interview. I really enjoyed it, and I'm excited about that. And if you want to listen to the review, yeah. skip ahead to that. But before we get into all that, we have a brief contest to announce some winners. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're going to resolve the winners for the the giveaway that I'm doing. We're giving away um two two decks from a Lord of the Rings fellowship event. These are the Attack on Dolgodor scenarios that I'm giving away. It's just a scenario plus the uh, the alternate artwork card. I think it was Galadriel, maybe. Um, so, so for the contest, I had people email me their favorite uh, characters, heroes to play with, and I got a few emails about that. So I'm going to just mention who everybody loves, and then we'll pick a couple winners. I'm giving two of them away. So first, Etienne said uh, he's a huge fan of Sam, Lore Pippin, and Tactic Mary, combined with a swarm of Ents, including Treebeard. Uh, that sounds awesome. I have not played with Ents yet in, in my games. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Lee likes playing with Gimli and Spirit Eowyn. Uh, he didn't mention a third character, so I don't know if he just uses two or if he uses three. But those are fun characters. I agree. Uh, Gimli's always really cool because the more damage he takes, the bigger he gets. Joe likes Galadriel, Boromir, and Glorfindel. I don't remember playing with those, honestly, personally. But no, I have played with Galadriel. So those are neat ones. Mikolai has entered with uh, Eowyn, Eleanor, and Dunhir. I don't remember what Eleanor does at all. Uh, and finally, Matt Delano, Haldir, Celeborn, and Galadriel. I find this list amazing because there's so many different characters to play with and they're all such different strategies and that's what I really like about the game. It's just a crazy variety. So those are our entries. We've got one, two, three, four, five entries and we're giving away two decks. That's uh, Odds are pretty good here. How should we do this, Julius? Should we roll a die? Do you have a D5 handy? Yes. Perfect. <laughs> so get two numbers out. Make sure they're not the same number. Well, but I, it's a D5. It, it doesn't work to do that. Oh. But I rolled it, okay. and I got a two and a one. A two and a one. So you got Etienne and Lee. Congratulations, Etienne and Lee. Uh, contact me, or if I haven't heard from you, I'll contact you eventually, and I will send out your, your prizes. <laughs> I'll contact you Actually, eventually. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, but I'll wait after you've heard this, because it's more fun that way. All right, so there we go. That's the contest. Let's uh, Shall we move on to the interview? Sure. Hit it, AJ. 
right, um, we're here today with AJ Porfirio of Van Ryder Games. He agreed to talk to us because he's got two games coming out on Kickstarter. One, possibly, when you hear this, is already on Kickstarter. The other one's a few months away still. Um, hey, AJ, how you doing? Hey, Albert. Doing good, man. Yeah, it's been a while since we've talked, but uh, I think at this point, one of your, your one of our most frequent guests. Oh, wow. <laughs> if not the most. I'll take it. <laughs> No, that's great. That's a well-deserved honor. I definitely think you've done, you know, Hostage Negotiator, I think, was another big one that really pushed uh, a lot of attention towards solo play. So I think it's an honor that's well-deserved. No, thank you, guys. Yeah, uh, it's honestly been a dream come true with that game. And really, it's it's the, uh, I guess it's the property VRG is basically built on um, and, and continues to be a strong seller for us so it's uh it's awesome appreciate the kind words excellent yes so so we'll probably mention that game a few more times but we're here to talk especially about the big score right which is that live already this is probably airing on the 12th so when when the 20th no that's we're we're probably another week away we're um looking at the february 20th is the launch Mm -hmm. date so we'll go live probably around 10 a.m. is usually when we when we hit the button. Uh, we'll probably be lo- go live on uh, Tuesday, February 20th at that time. Although if you're interested in getting a reminder for when they go live, you can sign up on their website for a reminder, which I am. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we always uh, we'll always put out to our mailing list things like that, and we're we're getting ready to launch a project, and so. Yeah, I encourage people to. Uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but we will in a second and encourage people to to uh, at, join our mailing list if uh, if it sounds interesting. Yep. All right. So, so why don't you tell us about the game some more? It's called The Big Score. Who's it by, and what is it about? Sure. Yeah. So, The Big Score is a basically a heist game uh, where players are playing as a crime boss in a fictional city we call Centennial City. So, you know, we have all different types of bosses, you know, different kind of diverse backgrounds and ethnicities and genders and all that, all those things. Um, So each player at the beginning will sort of pick one they want to represent. And then uh, the game plays out in two acts. So, and and what I'm going to describe right now is the multiplayer game. Uh, the solo game is a little bit different, uh, so we, we'll touch on that too. Um, but in the multiplayer game, it's a drafting game in the first half. So we call it Act 1, which is the small jobs. And each player is drafting their crew. So there's a driver, there's a con man, there's a, a grease man, um, there's a hacker, all these different crew types. And there will be these jobs cards out in the middle of the table that require certain crew crew to be completed and get the reward. So each player is going to be drafting their own cards, and then they each have a set of tiles in front of them, numbered one through six, because there's going to be six jobs on the table. And so you'll look out on the table and decide which jobs you want to send your crew on, and you'll sort of put them face down on the table. So if I want to send a hacker and a con man on job two, I'll put them face down on the table, put the two tile on top of that and no one else can see it. So they don't know which jobs I'm kind of allocating my crew for. 
And likewise, Albert, if you were playing and Julius, you were playing, I wouldn't know what your guys are going for. So once everyone's allocated their crew, then you resolve all the jobs. So we would flip over the first, um, anyone who has, has cards for job one would flip them over. And if together, anyone who's assigned to that job has enough crew to complete it, then anyone who went on the crew is going to, or I'm sorry, on the job is going to get the payout. And the payouts are range. It, it could be cash. There's also different tokens like diamonds and artifacts and hard drives you can unlock and different, there's different token types um, that are all each worth different amounts, just kind of depending on um, how many you have and things like that. So you progress through this, that uh, going through each of those six jobs um, and, you know, players will be getting money. If someone sends crew on a job and it is not completed, then they have to pay uh, $20,000 for the lost expenses of the, the uh, equipment and things like that. Um, so functionally, it's just like a little bit of a penalty to, uh, well, it's meant to sort of keep people from just trying to spread out to every job. So if each job gets paid, that they get everything, um, there's sort of a, a cost to going on a job that doesn't get completed. Uh, so that's kind of Act 1. One of the other cool things uh, before I talk about Act 2, which is the, the vault phase, the big score, um, but is on, one of the really cool moments of the game in the first half of the game is each player has a jack-of-all-trades token. Is that the diamond that's pictured? I'm looking at your website. Yeah, there's a there's a diamond. We're actually going to use a diamond first player mm. marker, um, a little plastic diamond piece. So you'll be able to see that on the Kickstarter page. And then, but yeah, then there's also like diamond tokens you get for the reward payouts. Um, but the Jack of all trades is actually, um, it's kind of, it kind of has each of the colors of the different crew on it. And the way it works, so is let's say our job needs four crew of, a, of specific types. And let's say you and I, Julius, went on that job, but we only got three of the crew that we need. Well, each player has one of these jack-of-all-trades tokens, so we will each take it secretly in our hand and kind of put our hands under the table and decide, do I want to use my jack-of-all-trades or not? You only get to use it once per round, so per six jobs. So we would both do that and decide secretly and then hold out our hand, our closed fists over the table, and then we'd both flip and reveal. So in this case, we need one... So if both of us sort of don't do it, then the job's going to fail. If one or both of us does it, then it'll succeed. So it creates these kind of really cool, like, you know, chick, you know, game of chicken type moments where, you know, ooh, is Julius going to use it? Should I save mine? You know, or should I just go ahead and do it to make sure we get the job complete? That's one of the real kind of fun, uh, fun aspects of the game. Uh, in the first act that really creates some awesome, like, oh, cool moments. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd be really bad at this. I, I'm so <laughs> terrible at that kind of game where you're trying to, like, bluff and guess what your opponent is doing. And... Yeah, you. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't say you'd be bad. This actually, it's, a, it's actually, even though it's some really cool moments, that's a pretty small part of the game. Like, a lot of times, you know, you it's a lot of times like, hey, if you're the only one in and you have your jack of all trades, like you just use it. So it's not always that cool standoff. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, so I 
yeah, if you're not like a big bluffer, that doesn't necessarily mean you won't you'll be bad at this game. That's a that's a pretty small part of the bluffing is a pretty small element, um, but it is a fun one. So so yeah, so that play so Act One plays out over three rounds of of those six jobs. You do that three times, and then uh, you move into the second half of the game, which is the big score. The you're you're all going to go into the the vault at Centennial City Bank. And you know, make the try to make the heist of the century, right? So you're, you're probably you're probably realizing at this point it's kind of this is kind of like almost like a Ocean's Eleven kind of theme it of of a board game, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, if if that was a, a an intellectual property we could get a hold of, it would fit perfectly <laughs> on this game. Um, so so if you're wondering about you know what the theme is, that's that's a good sort of snapshot of what of a good comparison so anyways um everyone at this point will they'll sort of put their boss tokens in the middle of the table to represent that they're in the vault and each player will we have actually this really cool cardboard 3d bank so you'll have this structure that you build instead of just having kind of a bag that most people are used to pulling tokens out out of um you actually get this really cool structure um, to pass around the table. It's a it's a a cool like bank vault basically. Oh, so it's sort of like a, a big cup or something. It looks like a box. Like imagine the box from hardback. It looks about that size with the top cut off of it. So if you're standing it up tall wise mm-hmm. like a skyscraper and cut the top off of, that's what it looks like. And then it's yep. paint. It's pictured up to look like a bank. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So everyone takes a turn reaching in and now the way it works is each time you reach in, you're deciding to either stay and rob the vault or to flee the vault. So if you put your hand in and you rustle around the tokens and you pull out an empty fist or sorry, empty, you don't pull something out. Well, everyone's going to do that. And then everyone holds their fists over the table and you reveal if someone reveals an empty hand, that means they fled the vault, okay? And why you might want to flee the vault is because some of the tokens in the vault are cops tokens. So there's a cops track that is going to, depending on player counts, how many cops need to come out um, for any any of the bosses still inside the vault to be busted. So it's, it's um, one more than the number of players. So you can never bust out the first pool but like if we were playing a three-player game once four cops come out then anyone still inside would be busted and would lose anything they've pulled out of the vault so far so you know you kind of go through that that pressure luck aspect of the game where we're pulling out diamonds we're pulling out you know hundred thousand dollars in artifacts that you know artifacts you're trying to get the majority of so you know, maybe I have one more than an hour, and there's this like, oh man, I, you know, we only need one more cop token, but I really want to get that that next <laughs> artifact or that data key to open my hard drive. Um, so it's basically you kind of keep pulling, and you have to sort of judge, hey, how much have I got out of the vault? Plus, how much did I earn in the first half of the game? And try to figure out, you know, do I think I'm ahead? Do I think another cop's coming soon, and I, I need to I need to get out? Um, so the second half of the game is really a tense sort of um, pressure luck um, 
kind of kind of thing. So uh, it's really awesome. The game at any player count uh, is going to play in under an hour, especially once everyone knows the game. It's probably going to be closer to 30, 45 minutes. Um, so, and it's it's one of those great games that works really well for um, you know casual gamers as well as you know your more sort of alpha advanced gamers. Um, so it's one that we're definitely really excited about. Mm-hmm. And the game looks really good. I, I love the artwork on it. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, the mm-hmm. art. Um, we found an artist named. His name is Ryan James, and um, I believe he's actually from. He's in Trinidad and Tobago. Okay. Um, so he was like, he was really fun to work with, and he got. He got really invested in it and just doing all the characters, and he did an awesome job. So, yeah, we love the art. Yeah, I got to say, it's really impressive. You should definitely hold on to him. I like you've, you've selected some good samples for your various pages. It looks really good, the art. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I love the, the little inside joke there on the cover of the game that I noticed there's a, a van rider on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Grease Man is actually up on top of the van. Um, mm-hmm. So it sounds like for a number of these mechanics, they they would be pretty difficult to translate over into solo. You know, drafting I felt is definitely one that's harder to do in solo. How are you intending on making this also work solo? Yeah, um, no, great. I'm glad you asked that. So I'm actually so. Oh, I I should I haven't mentioned designers yet. So before I get to that, um, I should mention mention. There's two designers of the game, Jason Mowry and Chase Williams, uh, and they're actually friends of mine um, in in our basically in our core game group. Um, so this is really their first design, um, but it's been it's been two years in the making, um, tons and tons of playtesting and back and forth, and it's actually uh, morphed quite a bit from the original version. Um, so anyway, I, I did. We just want to. I should have mentioned them much sooner, but I did want to mention them, um, especially before I mention myself, since I'm. I actually am the sort of designer of the solo mode. So, um, what I, what we're gonna do there, Julius, and what we're what we've done is, the solo mode is scenario based, and it takes the same core mechanisms, but with a few changes. So. Uh, to your point, drafting is something that's very difficult to do, on, you know, next to impossible, actually, uh, for solo play. So the way the solo mode works is actually uh, you're not drafting, but you get a hand of cards for each round. And then it's hand management. So you, it's kind of an action selection where you can pay to do different things to manipulate your hand. So you're going to get a, a hand of five crew cards. And then the jobs will be out. And depending on the scenario, could depend on what you're trying to do. But well, for simplicity's sake, we'll just say you're trying to get the most money, which is sort of the basic scenario. Uh, I, each round, am going to be able to allocate one type of crew, however many cards I have of that crew, to the jobs. So if I get three conmen in my hand in the first you know, five cards, that's pretty lucky pull. And I can just for free put those con men on whichever jobs I want that need con men. Um, I could also pay $10,000, which 
is not a ton of money. You know, you'll start the game at two hundred thousand, so it's you know you can do several things before you get low on money. Um, but that's one thing you could do. You can pay ten thousand to discard crew of one type and draw that many cards off the deck. So if I have two hackers, and I don't need hackers or or want something else. I can pay ten thousand, discard both of those hackers, and draw two new cards. I could pay ten thousand to draw another card, just draw a new card. Um, so there's all these different ways you can sort of pay, and there's you know other things besides those. But those are some of the common ones. And then ultimately, the round's going to end when I decide to put out my crew and then pay for any extra until I want to stop. So the jobs payouts range, you know, in cash, they range from, you know, between 20,000 and 100,000. Obviously the higher payouts require more crew and things like that. Um, so, you know, even though you're spending money, you're getting some back, but you have to decide, you know, is it worth it to pay this extra to try to draw more cards and get this job done? Um, so it's definitely a, a sort of hand management, you know, exercise and trying to to make the best decisions such that, you, such that you can complete the jobs in the most efficient way. And so each round, uh, and we're still testing a lot of this stuff, but right now it, the way it works is each round there's 30 cards in the crew deck. So, you know, you try to get however many of those six jobs done as you can uh, before that 30 card deck runs out. And then there's, you can also pay if you think, well, there's not a lot of, you know, hackers in this on these jobs, and I'm drawing a lot of hackers. You can actually pay to put them in the next crew deck. So the likelihood that hackers are needed in the next set of jobs is much higher if you if you're not seeing a lot. So you can sort of pay and defer those into the next deck. Um, so that's kind of the difference of the the big difference in the first half is just how that works instead of the drafting. So if I may, on the first half, just ask on that one before we move to the second half. Um, so you said that it's objective-based. Are there a limited number of objectives in the game? Are they selected randomly? Like, what's going to help with replayability for the game when you have a limited number of objectives? Yep. Yeah, so there's going to be... Uh, the the final number's not decided, but it'll likely be... Uh, eight to ten different scenarios. So, and it's either going to be in a well. There's definitely going to be a booklet that comes with it, and I'm, there may be a card for each scenario. I've still not decided on that, um, but that will be decided by the time the Kickstarter's up. So, you'll be able to see that there. But um, yeah, so you know, you can you know, if we do the cards, you can shuffle them and, and do them at random, or you could you know. You could roll a die or just decide what you want to do. Maybe that's something um, up in the stretch goals as well. Yeah, exactly. We can. There's there's some different things we can do. Uh, it's very likely that there will be cards included. That's really what I want to do. So, uh, I I actually don't really subscribe to to doing solo content as stretch goals. I've always that's always left a bad taste in my mouth personally as a as a consumer. Um, However, this is the closest I've ever got to actually considering that, given that there's, you know, additional components needed in this game for that. So that from that perspective, I kind of get it because there's more cost. Um, but solo is such a is such an integral part of our brand that I'm always going to endeavor to include it, you know, 
from the gig. Well, I don't think it's a matter of not including it. It's changing mm-hmm. it from a booklet to separate rules and potentially adding more snares or something like that. Well, I'm just talking about the solo. I'm just talking about the solo okay. play. Like, however we do it component-wise is, is you know, we'll decide that. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's very likely it'll be a booklet and cards. Um, but we could probably do it with one or the other. Um, I'm just, yeah. It, there's just some, uh, a few things we have to work out on that. Mm-hmm. Is the solo, but anyways. The first half of that solo game, is it more strategic? It sounds like it's more strategic than the multiplayer version. Yeah, I mean that might be fair. It's probably a little more puzzly because in the okay. in the multiplayer you are a little bit more dependent on, you know, most of the time you're not completing the jobs on your own, so you need other players to be going on jobs with you. Um, it's different. I mean, it's definitely different. So it's probably fair to say that it's a little more thinky. That's uh, probably fair. Uh, but there there's also things in the multiplayer game that you're not going to get in the in the solo game but so yeah and then um in the second half of the game it's you're still doing the vault um the vault phase except that in the solo game it it works a little differently oh i forgot to mention the vault floor so in the in the base game and the solo game there's a vault floor where there's five tokens out in the middle of the table so when you draw a token you can actually trade with the vault floor so in turn order, each player can kind of, if, if there's something better out there, they can trade something they have in their hand with, uh, with the floor. So in the solo game, it works a little different. You, there's no vault floor. The way it works is you draw three tokens and you're going to get to keep one, remove one from the game and put one back in the vault. So you can kind of decide, obviously, what you want the most. And then, hey, what do I want the potential of getting again? You can put back in the vault. And then, you know, what do I? What am I okay never pulling again? And then the way the cops work is if you draw a cop, it just, you know, it goes on the track as normal. But with drawing three tokens, you could potentially draw more than one cop, in which case... The first one always goes on the track, but if there's more than one, you have the opportunity to bribe either the, the second and or the third one, if, if three come out, um, you can pay them money, basically, and you put that those tokens back in the vault. Um, and so there's a little bit of uncertainty as far as that goes. Um, and, and you have to pay them with what you've pulled from the vault so far. So you can't use any cash from the begin from the first half of the game to pay to bribe the cops. Okay. Okay. But, you know, both the solo and the multiplayer game sound fun so far. I'm looking forward to trying both of those. Yeah, I think it. I think we've done a good job um, making them very both very interesting, and and the solo uses this all the same core concepts, but really is a little bit a bit of a different game. Um, so it's not like you can you could play the solo game and you know how to play. You you'll know a lot of the aspects of the multiplayer game, but it's definitely got some key differences. But what's the the price? Have you settled a price on that for that yet? No, I'm always I'm always pretty uh, I always hold on to the price till the, the Kickstarter launches, just in case we want to make a change. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, retail, you know, you're 
we were probably looking at a fifty dollar price point for retail. Fantastic. Obviously, we'll we'll come off of that for the Kickstarter and the, and the early adopters. Um, and so you said it starts the twentieth. When does it end? We that's to be decided too. But okay, I'm probably yeah. We're probably going to go a little shorter than we normally do. Um, I really yeah. I, that's a whole nother discussion and get, getting into the kickstarter strategy stuff but I, I i really feel like you can do you know a, do pretty similar over a couple weeks as you could over like 30 days um mm-hmm. just because the middle slows down so much for most campaigns so, game so let me ask you a couple of questions about development of the game if that's okay the the game sort of feels sure. like you had these two phases and you put them together what made you want to have those be one game together instead of two separate games or how well do the two halves flow together? Um, yeah, no, that's a good question. And I mean, I think the idea always was to have this heist game that culminates with this huge, you know, bank robbery. Um, and, and I'm, I'm speaking for the designers a little bit, um, on that question. Cause is that that's really their design intent. Um, but yeah, we, you know, through the development, you know, one of the key things was was figuring out how do we connect the two parts, right? Like, how do we make it so the first part matters um, for the second and vice versa? So, like, we have things like I mentioned the hard drives. So you can only get a hard drive in the first half. So it's like this encrypted data, valuable data, and all the keys are in the vault. So you can you know, get a hard drive in the first half that's worth nothing by itself, but if you get a key from the vault, it's worth $200,000. So uh, we, did, we did some things like that. You know, early on, we had some, some things that got dropped. Like we had this, there was this whole loyalty mechanic where it was just really convoluted and, and ultimately didn't work very well, but we were trying to have it such that you kind of got rewarded for helping people but like penalized if you didn't help them and that all got dropped in term in, uh, in favor of sort of simple, um, more streamlined play. Was the game always titled the big score? And did you always call it the centennial centennial city? Where'd those names come from? Uh, n- n- the game was not always t- titled the big score. Um, that, did happen pretty early on though. I think it went, it just didn't have a title, you know, it was the heist game or whatever to, um, chase one of the designers. Uh, I think actually it was probably him and Jason came up with the big score. We really liked that. Seemed like fit the game perfectly. Um, and then, sorry, what was the Centennial city? Oh yeah. Uh, yep. So yeah, we just needed a fictional, um, sort of fictional name for the city. And I think originally the designers had the city was like called new Centennial. Um, but we, we we decided to change it to Centennial city. They're both pretty well named, I think. Mm -hmm. So is that, is that Centennial city where hostage negotiator lives too now? No, I mean, hostage negotiator in theory is, you know, whatever city you're in, you know, you can put okay. it in, in kind of wherever you are. We've not, we've not necessarily defined a fictional, um, you know, geography for that okay. game. Well, fortunately, the city I live in is not that exciting. 
Yeah. I mean, nearest big city or, or whatever you want to do, you can imagine whatever, wherever you want to be. I mean, I've, I always pictured like New York, you know, some big city, right? Like New York City. Yeah. Chicago. Or, yeah. yeah, I've always assumed it's New York, honestly. And so so let's talk about uh, the game books you got coming out. The um, What is it called? The Graphic Novel Adventures? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk that, about it. That's a little farther out, but that's also going to be on Kickstarter, right? Yeah, we're, it's actually not that far out. We're we're planning to knock on wood, um, get a Kickstarter up in March. Oh um, wow! Okay. So it will actually be a pretty fast follow um, to the big score. Um, I we haven't settled on the date yet, so I I don't I'm not I don't have the specific date for you yet. But obviously, it'd be at some point after the big score ends. So those dates will sort of be coming to light here soon in the next week or or a couple weeks. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I assume the lead time and these are a little bit shorter because these, these are books you're licensing from a French publisher. Yeah, exactly. So these, yeah, these are existing properties. So just to, you know, give the background, um, they were originally, published in France uh, by a publisher called Makaka Editions. And one of the books, Captive, which I, you're familiar with, Albert, uh, mm-hmm. was they did an English translation for Europe. So Blue Orange actually licensed and did the that English translation. But it was never really widely distributed. Um, and there's never really been a north american u.s or canada release so no it's this is just this is a a case of i was actually browsing board game geek and and ran across captive and you know as a solo player like looked and sound amazing to me and you know i love choose your own adventures and game books so i was like what is this this looks incredible and so i went and i'm reading the comments on bgg and there's like comments about people saying well you know, this is a great game, but it doesn't matter because you can't get anywhere and, and <laughs> things like, you know, oh, you know, someone should should bring this over. Um, and so just things like that. I was like, man, I wonder, like, if we could get this property. So I didn't even know about all the other books. I was just I went to I found out Blue Orange had done it. So I I contacted Blue Orange and, you know, wasn't really expecting much because uh, I should I should clarify that. When I say blue orange in this instance, I'm talking about blue orange Europe, um, mm-hmm. which is it's still the same brand, but it's there they operate separately from blue orange US. Um, yeah, it's a strange model because they also they make different games in the US and Europe. It seems so. It's yeah, they're both blue orange, but they're not the same at all. Yeah, and I mean the way they put it to me, they were they were basically like, yeah, you're lucky, like. We could, we can't really license anything else because you know usually it goes to Blue Orange US, but in this instance, for whatever reason, um, they did they weren't going to do the books. So yeah, so several months of negotiation later and back and forth and just trying to get the deal done, and we we got it done um, last fall. Um, even though we didn't make the announcement till January, which was very difficult for me because. I wanted to sing it to the, you know, yell it from the mountains. And my business partner, Evan, was like, no, no, you need to wait, you need to wait. Yeah, so, I bet you're just bouncing with your mouth shut. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyways, right. This are, is the, I should this is the line for the graphic novel adventures. And I'm not personally familiar with these. So I don't understand. Is this a book? Is this a game? How exactly does this work? Yeah. So it's, it's actually a, a, a graphic novel. It's a comic book. It's, it's like, I don't know exactly how many pages, but say about 200 pages. And you're reading it and you're looking at the pictures and, and it's a choose on adventure story. And and sometimes the stories in the in the text or the choose on adventure stuff is in the text. Sometimes it's in the pictures. It yeah. Depends. So it, yeah, that's exactly right, Albert. So it's essentially a choose your own adventure that that basically integrates graphics, right? So like you have you have game books that have kind of pictures that are references of what the text is telling you. This is not that. This is, hey, you see three hallways and two hallways in front of you and a door. And each of them has a number on it. So you, if you want to go down the hallway that leads to frame 115, then you'll flip to frame 115. If you want to go in the door that goes to frame 35, then you'll flip to frame 35. So it actually is integrating the graphics into the game. Um, and then it has some of the like hidden number thing. Like if you're in a room with, you know, oh, there's all these potions on the shelf and stuff you may actually have to look pretty hard and be able to find like a hidden number. Oh, there's a 19 there. Like, and you flip to 19 and it's like, Hey, you found a healing potion um, or whatever. So it's just really awesome how, how it works. And each, each of the, each of the books is the system is similar, but they are different. For example, What's the system exactly um, captive, you said that What's the system that? is different. What do you mean that there's a system? It's not just find a number and proceed through like a regular choose your own adventure? No. So, right. So you have, so I'll use captive as an example. So for captive, you are a cop and your daughter has been kidnapped. So you are going out to this old mansion in the woods to try to, you, you have nothing but a ransom note and you're trying to figure out what's going on. You have a character sheet. So your cop has, you know, different, um, different attributes so you have you know dexterity will and you know one other and at the beginning of the game you get like 20 points and you choose how to allocate it to those different um attributes and then in the book you may come across a you know a point of action where it really helps for you to be quick on your feet and it's gonna say you know if your dexterity is seven or below or six or below, go to this frame. If it's seven or above, you know, if it's above six, go to this frame. So that's one example. And then, you know, you track the time that's passed. So like some frames will have an icon that tells you to mark a passage of time. Um, so you'll put an X each time you see that icon. And then, you know, some frames that you go to, something different may happen depending on how much time has passed. Um, so that's, and I mean, that's just the surface. Like that's one of the books. Another one is more like a, you know, fantasy, uh, adventure where you're fighting monsters and there's, you know, XP and leveling up and a, a, um, a kind of skill tree where you, you know, each time you, you gain a level, you get a new ability. Um, I can't say enough about it. I mean, it's, if, if, yeah. If you're a solo gamer and you like, you know, you like story, you know, story games, you know, then 
these are just awesome. I mean, there's riddles in them, there's puzzles, there's all kinds of different, really just, I, just really awesome gameplay elements that I just think the solo community is going to love them. Yeah, I, I couldn't describe it better than that, honestly. And and they are really different. The two I've played, Knights and Captive, feel different. The the goals are different. In one of them, you're, you're trying to rescue the person before time runs out. In the other one, you're you're trying to find treasure. And you know, as you're going through, the treasure will be hidden in, in some pages. And if you find it, you get one, and and you go to get a certain amount of treasure by the end. The the captive is is for for an older audience, definitely, right? I wouldn't share this with my kids. It's pretty gruesome. The the Knights one that I played is definitely a kid's book, and honestly, sometimes I felt like it was talking down to me. Huh. Um, so, so it's a wide age range. You know, they're just very, very different. Yeah, and I should I should be clear. The the five, so, we, so we're starting with five of the books. The five that we've chosen, we've chosen to, to sort of select some of the more adult-oriented ones. Um all of the ones we've chosen, I would say, are targeted at, you know, not that, you know, certainly like teen. I think they're fine for teenagers. I don't think there's any kind of content that you would be worried about your teenager seeing. But, um, but yeah, so we've chosen one. There are certainly ones targeted more at, at younger, a younger audience. And, you know, we may do those at some point. But the five we start with um, are, are more for, for, adult gamers does that okay. mean that they would yeah, not be um, suitable for younger children um it varies i mean i i mean there's to albert's point there's you know captive has some violence in it there may be some language in a few points um it, that's a parental decision right so i can't i can't yeah speak for someone on you know what's appropriate or not um i don't I'd probably, my, my oldest is 10 years old. I probably wouldn't let him read them just yet. Um, maybe in a few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my daughter is 12. And she she has a dark bent. I might let her read Captive. My my son, not not so much. No, I, w- I don't think I would let him at that age because he, he just doesn't like creepy, gruesome stuff as much as she does. So yeah, like you said, it really, it's, you know, it's up to the parent to decide. Yeah, I mean, if you you know held a gun to my head and say you, you got to give me an age, I'd probably say fourteen, Julius. I mean, but like I said, it's that's a that's a parental decision, so people can. Well, I'm just trying to definitely would recommend if if you have kids and they want to read them. I mean, I'm just trying to get context for what sort of adult themes I would expect to see in these so that I can gauge gauge for that parental decision. So. Yeah, the problem is you can't talk about it too much without spoiling it, right? It's you give a little bit of the story away. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, but I, you, I mean, I think it's fine to say things like, you know, in captive, there's gunfights, and you know, you're you're fighting bad guys, and you know, it's certainly not nothing, you know, I would call rated R. Um, yes. You know, I'd put it somewhere there's, between PG thirteen and R. I mean. There's occult references and things like that. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting series. Definitely, I, I think if you want to see what it looks like, you could also go to the French website no, and see the, the French versions of the book. And you'll see all the ones that there are. 
every time I've looked at them, it's like, oh, I want this one and I want that one. And, oh, this looks cool. And <laughs> they're all awesome. Yeah. And, I mean, we, we actually plan to do more. So, um, but obviously that's going to depend on sort of the success of these first five. So mm-hmm. we'll gauge that. I mean, if the Kickstarter blows up, then we'll probably go back and, and lock up the other ones right away. Um, cool. And, and get moving on those. And so we focused on captive a lot, right? But you said there's four five other ones. ones. There's the, the loop guru, four other ones. I'm sorry. Loop guru, which I, I assume by the title, it's a werewolf story. Um, and that looks to be set in a medieval setting or something like that. Maybe. Is that yeah, right? I can, I can give you the rundown on the other four. Um, for okay. sure. give you the quick sort of synopsis. Yeah. So loop guru, um, is one I've actually, we've, we've got the translation done. I recently played through is exactly what you said, um, Albert. So it's really cool. Like you are actually a a mage's apprentice and, and I'm not ruining anything. This is all in the first beginning of the game. You, uh, you go out, your, your, your master's like, Oh, I need this ingredient. Go out and get it for me. So you go out in the woods and you get attacked by a werewolf and he scratches you but he, a werewolf hunter comes and kills him. So you, you begin the game as you basically become a lycan, you know, a lycanthrope um, and a werewolf. So you are, you're the player and you get to play as a werewolf and you got to try to figure out how to control, you know, being able to turn into a werewolf at will versus not being able to control it. And that's, that's the one with the skill tree. So you can, you know, you can play as like a, a warrior or you could play as a, a spellcaster or a thief or these other things. Um, so that's that one. And then uh, Tears of a Goddess is actually a, um, it's a, it's, it's set in, I think it's, gosh, I should know this, but I'm pretty sure it's Japan, uh, Japanese. So you're in this town and there's this goddess that um, her tears, quote unquote, are these little sprouts, these little these plants. It's kind of weird. This one's kind of a, an interesting story. But the beginning is like, oh, it's you know the sprouts have been stolen and doom and gloom, and like if we don't get these back, like the apocalypse is going to happen. <laughs> um, and so you're this you're this female sort of. I guess bounty hunter is probably the best way to describe her. And you get to, you, you know, you basically accept the mission to go track down the thieves that have stolen these sprouts. And you get to be choose at the beginning of the game, whether you want to be a master of disguise, a master of, you know, throwing stars and throwing weapons or, um, sort of your general thief slash burglar. Um, and that one's, that one's really cool. That's, that's a, that's a fun one. And then the other two, the last two are, one is called Your Town. And it is in a Western setting. And you you basically arrive in this town and you become the mayor and run the town. And you have to basically figure out how to sort of thrive and, and grow the city or grow the town. And then the last one is Sherlock Holmes theme. So it's Sherlock Holmes, uh, the uh, for investigations. So you get to play as either Holmes or Watson and go, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. Go solve 
four different mysteries in that one. So is that four separate games in one book or, or one long story? Um, I think that it is one story with four different investigations. The reason I can't give you a better answer yet is because we don't have it fully translated uh, at this yeah. point. So it must so, have been hard picking these in French. Did you like look at the books, the French books or something, trying to decide? Well, yeah. I mean, I I signed them uh, all all except for Captive without actually having played them. Oh. I, they did send me, so I have the French copies, but obviously I can't read <laughs> French. But I was sold on Captive enough to and being able to look through the others to you know know and be comfortable. Um, with with locking them up, and I've I've played the last two are still in translation, so I haven't I haven't got to experience those. But the the three I have are all incredible, so I have nothing but high you know expectations that the last two will be just as awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are all, and you know we mentioned that these are hardcover books. I think they're full color comics, and they're I don't know how many pages, 180, 200? Yeah, we're yeah we're gonna we are gonna try to match the similar quality to the French book. So yes, hardcover, um, and you know they have really durable pages because you're flipping through constantly. So it's important mm-hmm. that the pages are strong. Um, yeah, they vary in page count. Um, the shortest one, the Tears of the Goddess, is the shortest one we're doing, which is like a hundred pages, and then the other others range up to 180 pages. So it just depends on which one. Okay. Interestingly, though, I didn't, like, the 100-page one didn't seem that much shorter to me than some of the others. So I, was, I found that interesting when I, you know, when I played through them and I was thinking, oh, this one's going to be a lot shorter than the others. But it really didn't feel that way. Yeah, you know, that's the thing about graphic novels and comic books in general. It's the, the page count doesn't necessarily tell you how much of a story you get out of it. You know, I've I've read very very detailed complex stories that are just much shorter. Yeah, and maybe the art style, I guess. It may be because there's some puzzles in that one that were like really I got we got stuck on, and there's actually a funny story which is there was one puzzle and we just like could not solve it, and we knew the answer because if you if you miss it, you know it shows it shows you the answer, but logically we could not get to. Like, what is the answer? Like, it doesn't make sense how you would logically get to this answer. And so we actually went back to the to the French publishers and were like asking, like, hey, help us out with this. And so they didn't know. And they went back to the designer. And it turns out that the, there's an issue um, that we're going to be able to correct in the in the translation. But like basically the answer it showed was not correct. Um so I, I know that's really vague. I, I can't say more than that without spoiling. But just to point, I, I say that to point out that there are, you know, we are, even with Captive, we're sort of doing a little bit of work on making it flow better. Um, you, you know, some of, the, some of the English in the translation they did is a little bit broken, uh, broken a little bit at some parts um, and not intuitive, I guess, for what we'd expect, you know, on, for American English, I guess, is the best mm-hmm. way to say it. Um, and then there's actually also a, a, a puzzle issue in Captive that we're going to correct as well, mm-hmm. uh, which which was basically, well, I'll just, 
that one's hard to talk about without saying anything. So I'll just I'll just say is a is a byproduct of it of it being translated. Uh, yeah, caused yeah. caused a little bit of an issue. I seem to remember that that came up in the BGG forum. So if somebody really wants to to know it, they're going to get a spoiler out of it. But it's it's out there, I think. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Someone someone posted something about that, which which helped us to find it. So I think yeah. Rodney, I think Rodney, a watch it played actually is the one that posted something. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah. I remember yeah. it was a, some media creator. Yeah. And, and you know, I remember the same issue with Chevalier. There's a, the Knights. I'm sorry. There, there was something in that one that the, uh, the puzzle was wrong. And it turns out that somebody had asked the, the publisher and they had answered. Yeah. It's, you know, we left out a number on one of the pages or something like that. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we are going through these, like, with a fine-tooth comb, trying to make sure it's the, the best yeah. translation we can make it, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky, because these are so different from anything else, because they're graphic novels. You know, somebody that's used to a game book, I think, just conceptually, it's different enough that I think they're just harder to, to catch issues and stuff, so it just needs more playtesting. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, there's... We could be here for a long time about winning <laughs> all the issues, but yeah, we're. I think people are going to be really happy and satisfied and love these. Hope I hope if people love them half as much as I do, then I think we'll have a successful product on our hands. Very cool, yeah. Because I'm looking at the the French website, and I, yeah, I, there's about seven or eight I want right now. So we've been we've had you forever, and this is going to be a long episode, but a few more things nonetheless. <laughs> um, right. Uh, Someone asked, "How about the uh, hostage negotiator campaign game that you've you've uh, dropped a few hints about in the past? How's that going?" Uh, not I'm not as far along on it as I wish I was. Um, so that's there's been so much work that I haven't been able to to give that the attention I would really like to. Yeah, um, yeah. But that is you know going to be one of my top priorities. Um, sort of once we get through this gauntlet over the next couple months. Um, so once I can get some time with it, you know, I, I feel pretty confident I can get it to, that's one that's like, you gotta, you have to get it to a fully playable state before you can even like test it. Right. Like it's, there's so much content and like, it's because it's campaign based and it's progression based. Like I can't just like have a, half product for people for play testing right like that's mm-hmm. one, been one of the big challenges and it's very narrative driven so there's lots of writing and things like that so um in its current form you basically play out 10 years of a of a negotiator and each sort of each sort of campaign year is you know is one year um and there's a bunch of of content right for each year so i think i've finished i want to say three or four years out of the 10 um so i still have a bit to do and mm-hmm. you know i originally we had hoped to be able to sort of launch something in q1 of this year obviously that's not going to happen at this point um but it, it's going to happen it's just a matter of you know getting the time to to be able to do it so it'll happen i mean we got We've got a lot of work with Detective. We've got a lot of work with these two games coming out, and then, but you know, trust me, we're we're gonna continue doing hostage negotiator content as long as people are supporting it. So, cool. Okay. We'll is this there. a standalone game, or is it uh, using the the existing hostage negotiators games? 
Um, no, it's definitely not a standalone. You're going to have to have, this is a point that's not, not final yet, but I, I really think that you're going to need to have both crime wave and the base game to be able to do it. Um, because you need enough abductors to be able to do it. Um, so (laughs) that's still kind of TBD exactly what you're going to need, but Suffice to say, you're going to need enough. The, the reason I had, you know, I had, haven't done it before now is you have to you have to have enough abductors um, to be able to play out a full campaign. That makes sense. It, so it now that we times that uh, Donna Scarborough can take uh, her students hostage before they finally stop hiring her to work at a school. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but. I don't know whether you guys know or not, but we're actually, uh, Abductor Pack 8 is actually imminent to hit stores. Um, I actually have, we've received our copies, so I know that my Ooh. warehouse got them and is, is sending them to distributors. Um, so it actually could, well, by the time this is out, it'll probably be, probably available. Ah, so I gotta let my friend at the local game store know about it. Order a copy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we this one we really wanted to sort of we didn't do a Kickstarter for this one, so all the retail stores kind of get first crack at it. We're actually going to wait to put it up on our website to give retail stores the chance to sort of off be the ones to offer it first, and we really hope that um, customers will go and support their their local stores or their online stores and and uh, you know we've gotten such great support for this product line from the retailers that, you know, hopefully that's a little something that can sort of drive some business to their locations. Very cool. And what's this one called? Uh, this one is actually a, a – the theme is um, Samuel Xavier. So Sammy X is what we call him. He is – he's in a rehab facility um, for, you know, substance abuse, and he gets these really bad migraine headaches – so the cool new mechanic in this one is he, there's a migraine card where, you know, he can, he's going to get these migraines and start doing some really bad things, but you can mm-hmm. sort of get him some medicine to alleviate his migraine. And so depending on whether or not he's currently having a migraine or not, um, he will like he won't concede any de- or you can't concede any demands if he's having a migraine he's just not going to do it um, or not going to care and but it, once you sort of calm him down then you can concede demands and then there's there's more to it than that but that's the general gist. Well, very cool. Case okay, there's a lot going on for Van Ryder Games right now. Yeah, really busy time. Pro- I'd pro- probably definitely say busier than we've ever been, but it's exciting. Well, AJ, how can people reach you? Yeah, I'm actually pretty easy to reach and pretty responsive. Uh, definitely on Twitter at Van Ryder Games and Ryder is with a Y. Um, I'm on Board Game Geek, Van Ryder Games there as well. Um, I, I respond pretty quickly to geek mails and and uh, tweets, and uh, of course, you can also email us through our website. We have a contact form if you have anything. Um, that you want to talk to us about there as well. Um, happy to, we love hearing from fans and customers and potential customers and really anyone that wants to talk about games. 
Well, all right. Uh, thank you for for coming on. I really, really, we really appreciate it and all the time you've given us. No, thank you guys. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Well, then in that case, we are back. All right. That was a fun little chat. Oh, I suppose little mm-hmm. is not the word for that, but that was a fun chat. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and start talking about Flea. We are probably already over time, so let's get into it. You ready, Albert? I'm ready. I'm, I want to hear about this game. Jumping I love in. the art on it. This is another Freeman Freeze game. It comes in the same size box-ish as the Friday-type games, the little box, because there's not a whole lot in it. It comes with a deck of cards, and that is it. Flea is a cooperative card game uh, for one to four players where you take on the four members of the Alice in Wonderland series-themed and your goal is to run away from the monster. There's a monster that is going to be behind one player, and if that player's turn ever comes, then everyone loses to the monster. On your turn, you play a card, and then if you have none, you draw a card, and that is it for your turn. It's pretty simple. You keep going around till you get through the whole deck. If you get through the whole deck and never get eat, then you win. Yay! That's it. <laughs> Fair warning, this is a fast-forward game, though. What this means is, or a fable game, I suppose, both being the same type of thing. This means that there are no rules that actually come with the game, and the deck of cards that comes with the game comes pre-shuffled, and so you're not supposed to shuffle it when you first play, because the rules are introduced to you as the rules become relevant. If you do not want spoilers, I'm going to try and avoid some spoilers. I'm not going to avoid all spoilers, so I will say some things about the game that reference cards later on. If you want to be completely pure of any spoilers, you may not want to listen to this episode yet. I will just say it's a really good game, um, and I enjoyed playing it, but you may not want to listen if you don't want spoilers. So I'm going to give you a second or two if you want to leave. Still here? All right. Good. No, I've I've left. Bye, Albert. That's standard. You're snoozing by this point in time, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, let's go through our rubric. Albert, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Into the rules. There are none. Well, there's no rule book. Like I was just saying, this is a fable game, a fast forward game. There are no rules. Instead, cards just come up. You'll the 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 game divides itself into chapters, and so you'll realize that immediately. That the first chapter is sort of like the tutorial, and every time it comes out, it teaches you a new rule. So the first of the first ten cards, about half of them are the rules that teach you how to play the game and how to set up the game. I kind of feel like I did about Charterstone, because at one point in time, Charterstone also was going to have absolutely no rules in the game, and you also introduce all of them just as you play, I think this has the same type of thing. Like those first 10 ones, 
really, you could have just given me a book or something to read through those and given me the basic generic rules without mixing those up because that doesn't really help and that's just more that I have to deal with later. The like the first ten cards really did not need to have it be like that. It it breaks up some of the rules unnecessarily. It wasn't necessary. Past that, so it sounds like that's more of a gimmick than anything else. In the well, the first one, it's just that they're doing the gimmick and they're playing through it. But in all reality, I like this system of having the rules come up. It feels video gamey type thing because when you're playing through a game, like you go through and you do something, and then it pops up with, "Oh, here's how you do that thing. Let me explain to you this mini game or this thing that you're doing or what it is. This is how you do it in video games." And I think that it works very well for teaching a game. In all honesty, when I'm teaching games in my group, I will usually try to back end as much of the rules as I can because people like to just get started. People like to just do stuff and then figure it out as they're playing through it. And usually the rules are understood better when you do it that way. So I like the system. I think that the fast forward system is a really good system for teaching the rules, even when you're learning them solo. There's no reason it only makes a difference only player. I think it's a really good system. As long as the text on the cards are very clear, which I think probably except for one card, they're pretty clear in Flea. I have not played any other fast-forward games. Except for one card, they're all clear. That one's about gold. You'll see it when you get to it about spending 10 gold. Minor spoiler. Other than that, I think all of the rules and the cards are pretty clear. They squish in everything. It's not like a regular rule book where they give you like examples for how to do this stuff and sidebars and big pictured explanations and things like that. There's just not enough room on the cards for it. But the game system is pretty simple that they managed to get all that into just cards. Excellent way to introduce rules. Excellent way to teach rules in the game. Very intuitive very good way of doing rules. So that's a big plus. So if I if I look, if I start looking at pictures, am I gonna get spoilers just by knowing what cards are in the deck? Nah, I don't or? think there's I mean most of the pictures that you're gonna see on, on BGG really reference just cards in the first chapter. I've not seen anyone do any of the spoilers for later chapters. That doesn't mean that they're not out there, but I've not seen any of the ones that really spoil from the later chapters. Albert, what do you think about this type of way of teaching the rules to be rulebookless? I haven't played any game like that. I think I like the idea of a rulebook. I like the idea of a book that I could reference because I want big, complex, heavy rules, you know? Old Fantasy Flight. Or not Fantasy Flight, but like Avalon Hill rulebooks that are numbered. And no, oh, it's in rule 17.3.5. That's satisfying. And this doesn't have anything like that. Which sort of feels a little bit of a letdown. Um, otherwise, it seems fine. I mean, for what it is, it seems fine. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the theme then. So this okay. is Alice in Wonderland themed. It's To me, when I think Alice in Wonderland, I think silly. Like clean cut, move down type stuff. And the white rabbit running around. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. I'm late. Alice in Wonderland is all about silliness. And many of the cards really match that type of theme. Matching about jumping forward, skipping around, just the random silliness about how stuff how stuff happens and goes places and does things. Exploding present boxes, random boomerangs, messing up magic tea parties, things like that. And it 
all matches just that crazy silliness of the theme. So I think that the card art and the silliness of how stuff is just happening all matches that wackiness, psychedelic, uh, Wonderland-type world. My only question was, I don't remember any sort of chase scene from the books of the movie. The idea of this is that there's this monster who's chasing after Alice and three other characters. I don't ever remember anything like that. Mm, I don't either. So, I don't remember this monster ever coming into play, but I don't know, apparently it did. I don't know, maybe it didn't, maybe it's just the sort of theme, who knows. So, I don't know, that's maybe a caveat. I thought the theme was well-themed, but the core themes seem not there. <laughs> like, this this is, it mm-hmm. feels like, hey, I pulled this part of the Alice in Wonderland story, but it's never really in the Alice in Wonderland story. Mm-hmm. And I'm, this game is so light, I imagine it, the theme doesn't really matter. It's just, just for the sake of having some kind of It doesn't of matter, but it's fun. It's a fun theme. Yeah. Yeah. I like the art. I really like the way it looks. Yes. So getting into components, um, which is where we normally talk about the art. I also like the art. I, they have a nice art style for it. Nice color. Uh, nice style for the drawings. Very everything comes out very clear. All the text comes out very clear. They chose a good, good font sizes for being able to talk about it. The cards are not your standard poker size. They're larger, um, just by a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that makes it easier to see other people's because you do have a lot of times where you're having to compare cards and think about everyone who's all taking their turns and things like that. So all of that seemed very good. So all the components are very good. Nothing outstanding. Like, uh huh. You know, it's just it's cards in a box. Are these cards double sided or single sided? All cards are double sided, Albert. Okay. Well, <laughs> does the back matter, or is it just like the logo or something on the back? Or are you going to play with using flipping? You do the not cards flip over the cards over. Side and stuff. All of okay. them have a... You made that hard all for of me. Them, well, I didn't understand what your question was. What do you mean are they double-sided, Albert? <laughs> of course, it's a card. It's got exactly. two sides. It has one side. You flip it over, doesn't it? Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a Moebius strip card. I don't know. <laughs> that that would match Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, they are single-sided cards, which means that the backs are just the backs. There's nothing special on the backs. If okay. if you look at any of the pictures, like if you look at the picture of the game set up and there's a, just that green color on the back, that oh, is the I back see, of yeah. all of the cards. Got it. Okay. Every single card has that, except for the very first one. Except the rules. No, even yep. the rules. Well, actually, yeah, the rules. Oh, the rules okay. do say, flip this card over immediately. It has rules. But other than that, yeah, all of them do. So okay. that is that. Um, all of the cards also have a small number on the uh, on the face side of their cards, which allows you to reset the deck back to the pre-shuffled, pre-sorted version as well. Which, you know, that's easy enough to see, easy enough to do. But like I was saying, it's just cards in a box, and there's nothing really outstanding about the components. They're good. Let's talk about the gameplay. The core gameplay of the game is, again, on your turn, you play a card. And then if you don't have any cards, you draw a card, which means that you're spending most of your time with just one card. There's some powers and abilities that will mess with that. Um, 
that give you more cards to play or more options or make you play the same card over and over again, things like that. But in general, you play a card if that's your only card. If you have no cards, you draw a card. Very simple gameplay. But because that's very simple gameplay, because it's a card game, that means that there's a lot of stuff that you can do to sort of mess with that and make different challenges and choices for how you're going to use those cards to best effect. Um, Sometimes when you're playing through the game, it does sometimes feel like, hey, your challenge is just to figure out how to arrange things to be able to draw a card because the object of the game is to draw all of the cards and get through the whole deck. So you have sort of like a mini objective to make sure that you're finishing off your turn and drawing a card. In, in addition to the main objective of don't get eat, um, or don't get et, I believe is how, how that's phrased. Don't get et. Okay. Uh, it's a quote. Um, mm-hmm. Don't get eaten. You also have the mini challenge of figuring out how you're going to just draw one more card. Just get one more card through this. So the core gameplay works really well. Let's talk about some of the gameplay elements that come out of the fact that it's a pre-sorted deck. Because it's a pre-sorted deck, it's sort of like keyed to teach you new rules and elements of the game as you go through it. So it'll introduce other aspects of the game so i'm just going to say a couple things it's going to introduce gold cards let you buy more cards or new ways to to immediately end the game through poison uh and new abilities permanent cards special cards things like that so it introduces new things and they're key so that they come up early on in addition because it's all keyed you're Deathly cards are sort of set up so that if you're thinking about it, you can figure out ways to deal with the problems. So any of the cards that are deadly, any of the cards that can kill you, or just solutions to the main problem of don't start a turn when you have the monster, it keeps finding ways. The game will always give you solutions to try and do that when you're working with the preset deck. Just as an example the preset deck has a first chapter and in the first chapter it almost is scripted to give you a bunch of options for how to deal with the monster and keep going through the first chapter the first chapter isn't is inordinately easy it takes almost no brain power to just play the cards necessary to get through the first chapter without dying which is good because under the rules if you don't get through the first chapter without dying you specifically must reset the deck according to its preset order every time you play if you don't get through the first chapter. I have never I have okay. never failed to get through the first chapter, even when I'm playing with my kids. Okay. Does does the first chapter matter then or is it like how you you said that which path you take? Yes, the first chapter matters. There's a couple different turns and twists you can take in the first chapter to try and set yourself up for later. So yeah, it does it does matter what decisions you make about how you're thinking you want to make sure you can win later. Okay. But it doesn't matter in terms of getting past the first chapter, or not much anyway. Yeah. It's easy mode. It's like playing Friday on on gameplay level one. That's the only level I've ever played it on. I don't believe you, Albert. <laughs> it's true. Okay, whatever. Uh, I'll have to try two then, fine. Anyway. <laughs> so 
because you're playing through the preset deck, it's set up to make sure that you have solutions to all the problems. And there's a significant challenge. It's difficult to actually get through that whole deck on the preset deck. I have not personally achieved that yet. I haven't done it. And that's a challenge that feels really good. You feel like there's a puzzle here, and if I can just figure out how to solve that puzzle, I will get through that. That's good. It feels really good playing through the preset deck. But after you get through the first chapter, every time you lose, you take all the cards you've used so far, with a couple exceptions, shuffle them up, put them back on top of the deck, and go through that, which means it's now shuffled. And your first card could be the card that says you lose and you just lose. <laughs> or it could just say you lose and you have absolutely no way of solving the you lose card. And you have never had any way of solving the you lose card. You just can't no. do it. The Log it as a play and go and try again. Something like that. So the <laughs> random deck feels really random and it feels like it to just kill you. I have never had the random deck get set up where the random deck helps me, though. The game feels like it's enough of a challenge <laughs> when the game is trying to help me with the preset deck when I know there are solutions. I don't see any time where the game is like, oh, you played random? Here, let me help you along. Like, the game gives you certain bonuses for getting to certain stages in the game when you're playing with the preset deck. I don't feel any of those when I'm playing without the preset deck. Mm. And it could be that another player has thought about this and figured out what the correct methods for those are about how to win, even with the random deck and which cards you actually need and how to game the system. And it could be that they're there and I haven't figured it out yet. Maybe. Yeah. I haven't seen it. You know, it, it sounds like uh, Klondike, you know, when you set it up and you start playing... It may be unsolvable, and you just don't know. Yes. Right, until you start flipping more cards. Yeah. And it sounds like it could be that sort of thing. Yeah. But So that means that I actually have been playing less with the random deck and more with the preset deck, which means I'm actually playing more with people who haven't played the game yet <laughs> because mm -hmm. you preset it for everyone. But even when I play myself, I've just found myself resetting it to the preset deck and then playing through the preset deck more often than just playing with a random deck even though that means more time to set up. Okay. And do you do, you do that when you're going to start playing, or do you preset the deck at the end of the session? Both. It depends, depends on what oh. I'm thinking. depends on where I'm taking the game next. If I know that I'm going okay. to be taking it to, say, game night, I'm going to reset the deck at the end of my last session. Okay. And you said it's like 50-ish cards. It's not that hard to reset. It, yeah, it's not that hard. Yeah, there's only 90 cards. I was right. It's 90 cards in the box. So Okay. Yeah, it's not that hard to set up. Okay. So that's about the gameplay. Uh, let's talk about solo for a second. As an aside, this is sort of makes sense in solo. When you're playing a four-player game or a multiplayer game, the game very much encourages, to a certain degree, alpha gaming. Because, for example, whoever has the monster they can't take a turn. <laughs> so if you have the monster, you can sit there doing nothing or you can participate helping everyone else make sure you don't get a turn. 
that means that you all mm-hmm. have to be discussing strategy between all of the different players and you don't have a sense of ownership of your own player like you would in other uh, uh, co-op type games you don't have your player you have to be involved in global strategy otherwise you're not just you're just not doing that much and if you're playing with alpha gaming type players or if you're playing with players with different levels of strategy or discussion level things like that those players are going to dominate it and probably cut out the other players who may want to be able to share more so this feels like it almost encourages alpha gaming which means that it feels perfect for solo when you play as all of the characters (laughs) and have to alpha game everybody you have to so it feels perfect for that because it almost feels like you're doing that when you're playing multiplayer you just get to talk about it with other people while you're doing it (laughs) Yeah, that sounds that sounds perfect. Exactly. So solo feels perfect. Feels per. It feels like it was made for solo. So hmm. okay. <laughs> that's the comments about solo. How long does it take to play the game? Uh, depends on how quickly you die. Mm, okay. How long does it take to win the game? I haven't done that yet. But I'd wager it takes about seventy-five minutes to win. I think. Oh, wow. To win and get through the whole deck. Yeah, about that. Usually my games take about 45 minutes, um, and they usually end up dying early on. Actually, usually they're they're two attempts. Uh, That's just usually how I play. But it's about 70, it's it's about 60 minutes, 45 minutes per playthrough-ish. Okay. That's not bad, especially for such a tiny little game. Are you going to talk about the other games in this series? No, I haven't played any of them. I don't think they're solo-friendly. Yeah, I was going to say, this seems to be the only one that is solo-friendly. Yes. So, I wonder what the other ones are like. I have no idea. I I mean, I could tell you what they're like, but I'm not going to spend time with that. We're rushed for time, Albert. Oh, yeah. Move on. We got to go. Nothing to see here. All right. So, going on to the final thoughts. Um, in my opinion, when you're playing through the preset deck, it's a great game. It's a great experience. It's got an neat different way of teaching the rules it's a neat co-op game it's doing something very different and very fun to play through i cannot recommend playing through the random deck but resetting that preset deck to try and beat it because you know that the designer has a solution you know there's a way of beating it there must be you just have to figure out how to do it that's that's fun that's challenging that's encouraging and i like doing it and it's well designed. But once you beat it or get tired of that, it's it's going to wear out. So that means that the game really has a definitive shelf life. I know that the game is going to wear out when I'm tired of continuing to reset the deck, when I'm tired of losing to randomness, or if I beat it with a, re- with a preset deck, I'm probably just immediately going to try and trade it or, or pass it on to somebody else. But until I do that, and I'm a bunch of games in on it already it's fun and it's not an expensive game it's a small little game so for the amount that you're paying for it i'm getting a lot of hours out of it so i'm going to give it a definitive thumbs up nice okay and and i don't think we mentioned the price it is a cheap game too so it's definitely just worth picking up i was totally expecting you to mention the price then no we, we didn't mention it yeah, but as you said that, I was expecting you to mention the price, and oh yeah, we didn't mention the price, but it's... No, that's it. We just don't mention it. <laughs> it's $20 retail. Yeah, it's $14 for miniature market. 
So like I was yeah. saying, yeah, it's an inexpensive <laughs> game and it's fun to play. So pick it up. So there you go. That was Flea. I give it a thumbs up. And we're going to see if Albert's going to play it. Yeah, I'll play it. Once, once I get my hands on it, I'll play it. I'll give it a thumbs up too. I'll, I'll beat it and I'll send it to you. Once, okay, after I play it, I'll, give, I'll, I'll wait to play before I give it a thumbs up. That's not fair. <laughs> All righty. Um, so hopefully I've appreciated the interview and the review of Flea. Uh, it's a long episode. So Albert, say goodbye to the people. Yeah, goodbye, people. Adios, all. Good night. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.